You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Rewilding. Our faith in Christ is meant to be a dangerous faith, a wild faith, a faith not bound by this world or people in it. Why have we become okay with a domesticated faith, a faith that hinges our circumstances and not our Creator? All right, well, good morning once again. My name's Travis, and uh, I have the opportunity to serve as the lead pastor here at Covenant Church. It's a huge honor. And before we get started this morning, I thought maybe I could share a story with you. Is that okay? Can I do that? Um, yes, this is, a, this is kind of a weird story. So I'm going to ask if you could just, just, just to kind of hang tight with me till the end. Can you do that? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. Um, so my wife and I, mostly my wife, um, we've been talking about getting some cows out at uh, the Davenport Homestead. It's not enough that we have 34 chickens, two peacocks, one pig, um, and five kids and a lizard. Um, we also need, we also, oh, and three turkeys. We also need now two cows. So um, we're talking about this, and uh, it's an interesting development for sure. Um, the basic idea is that we're going to raise these cows, and then we're going to eat them. So at least that has a delicious end, right? Yeah. Um, by the way, if you don't know kids, that's where your food comes from. All right. Um, so we're talking about this, and then I, I my, my big thing is like safety, okay? Like, I've been around bulls before and not too pumped about it. In fact, I've, I've got, I shared a story. Me and, and a friend who's a veterinarian at OSU, uh, he took us in to see some cows, and one of the bulls escaped and charged us, and we had to run behind an iron door. True story. So me and bulls, not not like best friends, a little scared about it. Um, so I was talking with one of our neighbors, who's an old farmer, and I said, hey, my wife and I, we were thinking about getting some cows, some calves, um, but we're kind of concerned about them becoming bulls and being aggressive. And he goes, oh, that's simple. I was like, okay. And he goes, you just castrate them. That's what he said. Uncharted waters, I know, but just hang with me, okay? He goes, you just castrate them as calves, and then, then they're fine. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, when you castrate a, a, a cow, it's a calf, it will become more docile. It will become uh, easier just to like get along with. He doesn't have issues with other cows. He's not really that hard to lead around. In fact, he shows basically no ambition in life whatsoever except just to eat food. And I was like, okay, well, this is sounding more and more appealing, right? I can get with that. And he said, and also they rarely escape. They don't run off. They're just good. They're just really easy after you castrate them. And I said, okay. And then he said, but there is one drawback. And I said, what? And he kind of looked at me funny, like I should know what the drawback should be, right? In this weird conversation about bull castration. He looks at me, he's like, there's one drawback. And I was like, what? And he said, well, a castrated cow can't reproduce. So a castrated cow will just end with that cow. It, it has no ability to reproduce. So I was walking home from this interaction and I had two thoughts come to mind. Number one, the first thought that came to mind was, how is this my life? That was the first thing. How is it that I'm having a conversation with an 83-year-old farmer about bull castration? It is purely my wife's fault because she has done that Kentucky voodoo on my brain and made me believe that I need cows in my house. That's the first thing I thought. That's number one. Number two, number two, <laughs> I actually had this thought walking back was this. Is this what we've actually done to our Christians today? Is this what's actually taken place in our churches 
today. Think about it. We trend towards a domesticated God. We trend towards a domesticated Jesus. We, we trend towards a domesticated Holy Spirit. That's what we prefer. That's, that's what we want. We don't, we, don't like to, we don't like to talk about the wild God that, that, that who created everything and who demands everything, right? Who calls all the shots. We don't like the wild Jesus who demands to be everything or nothing. We don't like the wild Holy Spirit that moves and works on his own volition. No, no, no. We want a domesticated God, one who does our bidding. We want a domesticated Jesus, one who accepts us and our sin. We want a domesticated Holy Spirit who, who gives us those emotional you know, goosebumps when we hear worship. That's, that's what we want. And as a result, we, we end up worshiping a God of our own creation. Would you agree with that? Yes? We end up worshiping a God of our own creation. Sure, we may show up to the same type of church. We may, we may use the same type of language, even read from the same kind of book. But if we worship a God born out of our needs and desires, then we are worshiping a God who has no power. If we're worshiping a God who's born out of our needs and our desires, then we're worshiping a God who has no authority, no ability to bring life. And yet that's the exact, exact opposite of what we see from Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, says that he came to seek and save the lost. Yes, but it also says, it also says that he came to bring life, and life more abundantly. And so what we inadvertently end up doing is, is worshiping and teaching and preaching about a God that only revolves around us, a God that only exists for us, a God who exists only to meet our needs. And what we end up preaching is a gospel of castration, a gospel that cannot produce any life, a gospel that cannot reproduce itself in any life-giving way. I'm just gonna say this. I know this is strong, but you know what else happens when we do that? We end up producing weak, soft, gentle, uber-compassionate, castrated Christians. You're like, where am I right now? Okay, I know I'm going hard in the paint. I get that, I get that. But, but, but the fact of the matter is, scripture is littered with this language. I mean, this is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 11 when he says that he's concerned that his church would be wooed away by a different, more soft gospel. And Paul says this, he's concerned about this because he knows that a castrated gospel will create a castrated church which, by the way, John writes about in Revelation chapter three, when he writes to the church of Laodicea, he says this, for you say I'm rich. You say that you've prospered, that you need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Then he goes on and says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him, eat with him, and he with me. By the way, this is a metaphorical church. I believe that it stands for the church of our day and our time. These are Jesus' words. Jesus says, you're a church. He's speaking to a church. He says, you as a church, you say that you've prospered, that you don't need anything, that you're, in essence, you're good. Now, let's just be honest. How many of us are good? There's nothing wrong with being good, but how many of us are just like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I, don't need a, I don't need anything. I really don't, when it comes down to it, I don't need anything. And Jesus says, it's laughable. Because what you don't realize is that you're blind and naked and pitiable. 
He said, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but because you're neither, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And then he paints this picture like Jesus is standing outside the doors of a church, knocking, saying, hey, can anybody let me in? Hey, if anybody lets me in, I'll, I'll, I'll come in. Like we've grown up with these paintings. I've seen these paintings, right, of Jesus with a lantern standing outside like somebody's house like that's shaped like a heart or something. You know what I'm talking about? It has this verse, one of those, one of those verses, and Jesus is very, very white in those pictures. You know that, right? Like he's got red lipstick almost on. It's kind of like creepy. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks. If you haven't listened to that, go podcast that. Listen to it. Um, but that verse is a picture of Jesus talking to his church. The spirit of Jesus has left his church in this case because a castrated gospel creates a castrated church. John writes about this because he knows that a castrated church creates a castrated Christian, which is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7. Look at what he says in 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, just to review, when you contour God to your will, you create a castrated gospel, which in turn creates a castrated church, which, in ter- which results in a castrated Christian. And, and I'm just gonna jump out on a limb here today and let you know that we live in a culture of castration. We are theologically castrated. We are intellectually castrated. We are apologetically castrated. Would you agree? That is the culture that we live in. We live in a, in a, in a culture of agreed upon castration. And, and, and I get it. If my language is too forthright, I, I want you to know I can't apologize for that. I'm not trying to be vulgar, I'm not trying to be rude, but I have to get across this point that we live in a time that it's, it's not okay. It's not all right. The way things are, are not okay. But, but if you feel like you need something more palatable to write down for your notes, okay, that's fair. You wanna go home and talk to your kids about it and use, leave out the word castration? Okay, I'll give you some other notes. Here we go, ready? Here's how you can write it down. The outcome of a God, the outcome of a domesticated God is a domesticated gospel. Is that easier? Yes, I'll just go back to the castration. I have no problem talking about that. Yeah. The outcome of a domesticated God is a domesticated gospel. The outcome of a domesticated gospel is a domesticated church. The outcome of a domesticated church is a domesticated Christian. And the sad reality is that a domesticated Christian is nothing more than a self-deluded unbeliever. You're awful quiet today. The outcome of a domesticated God is a domesticated gospel. The outcome of a domesticated gospel is a domesticated church. The outcome of a domesticated church is a domesticated Christian. And the sad reality is that a domesticated Christian is nothing more than a self-deluded unbeliever. Listen to me. Something must shift. Something must change. Something must give. We've been promised a God who loves us. We've been sent a Messiah to save us. We've been given a spirit to lead us. The only thing that's holding us back is us. 
We like to blame everything on everybody else. Well, God doesn't want that. Jesus doesn't want this. The world did this. These people did this. No, no, no. You know whose fault this is? Our own. God loves us. Christ saved us. The Spirit leads us. The problem is not them. The problem is us, namely our hearts. Our hearts. Our hearts are the problem. Now, when I say heart, I don't, I don't specifically mean the, the organ that pumps blood in the center of your chest. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions, the seat of your will, the, the desires that you have, who you are at your core. And by the way, that's why this is a problem. <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us this. Look at what it says about our hearts. It says in the most encouraging verse ever, the heart is deceitful above all things <laughs> and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So, so of course we hold ourselves back. Look at how scripture defines who we are at our core. Desperate, sick, deceitful, wrong. But I would say this, listen, there is hope in this. There is good news in this because there's something inside each and every one of us. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what side of the tracks you've come from. I don't care how much money you have in your pocket. None of that, none of that. There's something that connects each and every one of us as humans. Deep down inside of each one of our hearts is the same longing, the same desire, the same Emotion. It is a longing to be free. Inside of each and every one of us, there is a true longing for freedom. There is a, there is a desire for our hearts to be wild. Our hearts long for that freedom. Our hearts long for that wilderness to be wild. And think about it, how could they not? We were created out of the wild, in the wild, at the hands of a wild God. Our hearts are wild because our God is wild. And guess what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And that's why domestication seems so bad. That's why domestication seems so icky. That's why your little boys climb trees. That's why they jump in mud puddles and eat bugs and things like inside of them. They're trying to work out this wild thing. And they grow up and we're like, don't do that. You can get arrested for that. Like, stop, right? And we have to learn how to live and, and work in this domesticated way. But here's where it gets interesting, right? Because in, in the garden, when sin entered into the world, our understanding of freedom shifted. Sin enters into the world, and, and then our understanding of what freedom is shifted. Adam and Eve believed that because God told them not to eat of a certain tree, that they weren't, that they weren't truly free. We remember this passage, right? This story? Yes? Yep. And they thought, well, we're not truly free because he told us not to eat of this tree. And yet as soon as they ate, as soon as they sinned, Scripture says right then their eyes were opened. So they realized that they were naked. They, they, they were ashamed. They hid, from, they hid from God. As soon as they sinned, they realized that the freedom they had in doing what God told them to do was better than the freedom they had in doing what they wanted to do. Can I just say that again? The freedom they had in doing what God told them to do was better than the freedom that they had in doing what they wanted to do. I want you to know today that you are never more free than when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. You are never more free 
than when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. See, all freedom comes with a price. Somebody paid the price for you to sit where you're sitting today. Somebody paid a price with their life so I could stand here and preach from God's word. Somebody paid a price that our kids could, could, could grow up in this country. Somebody paid a price for us to even live here. Often, or many people paid the price with their blood, their, their lives. Some, some of you, even in our church today, you've lost husbands or fathers because they paid a price for our freedom. You know why? Because freedom always requires something. Freedom requires a price. It comes with a price. And the price attached to the freedom of doing what you want is death. I hate to break that to you. But the price attached to doing what you want to do is death. The price attached to surrendering your life to Christ is life. I mean, didn't we just talk about this? Romans 6. For the wages, that's price, for the price of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Can we just read that together? For the wages or price of sin is death. Read this with me. Come on, nice and loud. But the gift of God is eternal life. Read that in. You know what's interesting about this passage is that we totally miss what makes this an amazing piece of scripture. We, we, we focus on the beginning, which we should. But there's something that's found towards the end that makes this so powerful. Did you catch it? It's the ending. The gift of God is eternal life, not just through Jesus Christ, but through who? Christ Jesus, our what? Our what? Our Lord. You know why that's interesting? That's slave language. Lord. I mean, if you don't agree with me, just go home today and demand that your wife start calling you Lord. Right? Tell your children, uh, kids, from now on, you are to address me as Lord. I mean, just see how that goes over. Next time you go into Starbucks, when they say, oh, what's the name on the order? Just say, uh, just write down Lord Davenport, capital L. They'll be like, okay, and they'll write idiot. That's what they're gonna write, right? That's slave language. What is a Lord? A Lord is a master. A Lord is somebody who tells you what you can do and what you can't do. A Lord is somebody that's in the driver's seat of your, uh, your decisions and all your actions. So let's just back up here a minute and put this verse into context. Look at this in verse 20. It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? Basically, he's saying, yeah, you were free. You could do what you wanted to do. But how, how far has that gotten you? How well has that gone for you? Right, that leads to death. Somebody's gotta pay for that sin. Somebody's gotta pay for the junk that you've gotten all messed up in. Somebody's gotta pay for that. The price of sin is death. He says, now, for the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, which is becoming more and more like Christ each day. And to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin, the price to pay for sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, being saved doesn't mean you're free from having a master. It doesn't mean that. You can be either a slave to sin or a slave to God, but you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. 
And pardon my bad grammar, but that's a good truth. Being saved doesn't mean you're free from having a master. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God. Those are your two options, period. There's nothing in between. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to God, but you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. And by the way, I don't mean to offend, but being a slave is the best way to actually define what it means to be a Christian. It is. I know it's counterintuitive. You wouldn't suspect that today, would you? Because today Christianity is all about liberation. It's all about fulfillment. It's all about my purpose. God meeting my desires and my needs and fulfilling my own dreams. I mean, we often hear this about God, don't we? God is for you. He's not against you. He wants to fulfill every dream. He wants to fulfill every desire. He wants to fulfill every single need. He wants to make sure. I mean, that'll preach. That's a whole lot of fun to preach. That's a whole lot of fun to believe. It's a whole lot of fun to think that God exists purely for me. Right? It's, it's nice. And I want you to know while God does care about your dreams, while God does care about who you are, the intricate details, I mean, Scripture puts it out there. It says that while you were in your womb, God knit you together. That he knows you and he loves you, Right? He does love us completely. I want you to do know, I really want you to know this though. Our fulfillment is not what drives God. God drives God. Let me just say that again. Your fulfillment and personal happiness is not what drives God. Your dreams and being fulfilled in this life is not what drives God. God drives God. You are not at the center of God's universe. When's the last time you saw a coffee mug that said that? Right, like a Christian mug? By the way, can someone in here get into the Christian mug game? Just please revitalize that industry. It, the amount of sheep and baby goats on those Christian cups is unbiblical. I'm just gonna say that, right? No, when's the last time you saw a mug that says, I'm not the center of God's universe? You know why you're not the center of God's universe? God is the center of God's universe. God did not create you to bring you glory. God created the earth and everything in it to praise him and glorify him and exalt and, and worship him. And somehow over time, we have inverted Christianity. How did this happen? We've actually flipped it over on its head. We've made ourselves Lord and God our slave. How is that possible? Please just take a moment to think about this. I think I'm right. I mean, with God as our slave, he exists for us. With God as our slave, my happiness is his highest desire. With God as our slave, comfort is his highest desire, my comfort. With God as our slave, I can do whatever we want and he still accept me. With God as my slave, I, don't, I, I have every right to get mad at him. When I'm not fulfilled and not happy, I'm mad at God today. Okay. With God as our slave, we can do those. But with us as slaves to God, I exist for him. With us being a slave to God, his glory is my highest desire. With us being a slave to God, I know he can do whatever he wants because he's God. And listen, if you don't like that, we might not like that, but until you get your own universe, you don't have a say in it. 
With us as slaves to God, I don't deserve my salvation, and I could never earn it. Here's the fact. We need a better understanding of what it means to call Jesus Lord. We need a better understanding of what it means to call Jesus our master. I mean, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says this, why do you call me Lord and not obey me? Why do you call me Lord? And you don't know what I tell you to do. Jesus is talking to friends and family. Jesus is talking to disciples, people that have left everything. And they're all chilling. They're all eating some lunch. They're all hanging out, having a good time, listening to, listening to a teacher from, listening to a teaching from Jesus. And Jesus just stops and he says, hey guys, can I get your attention? I hear you all, you're calling me Lord. But why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I tell you to do? As you can imagine, everybody was a little quiet. <laughs> but I would ask you the same thing today. I would ask us the same exact question. Why do we call Jesus Lord and not obey him? I know that you have schedules. I know that you have lives to live. I, I get that. But why would you call him Lord and not obey him? Why would you call him that? Why do we wrestle with the same sin over and over and over? Yes, the Christian life contains struggle, but the Christian life is about victory. You have within you the power to overcome sin, to overcome sin. It's not that you don't sin. You will. You will fail. You will fall, but you have been forgiven. You have been given the spirit to lead you. But once again, why is it that you call Jesus Lord and don't obey him? You know why I think it is? I think in the end, it's because we want Jesus as Savior, but not, we don't want to bow to Jesus as Lord. We want the benefits of following Jesus. I'm going to ask anybody today, hey, let me ask you real quick. When you die, would you like to go to heaven or hell? Uh, I'd love to go to hell. Who would say that? And so if that's how you lead off your evangelistic conversations, I've become a great evangelist. Really? How? I just ask everybody if they want to go to hell. And they say no. And I say, okay, we'll pray this prayer. We're good. No. Because if you are not willing to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord, you don't get him as Jesus the Savior. You don't get him. You can't just have Jesus as Savior. He must be Jesus as Lord. And I would go on and say this, that Jesus as Savior and not Lord is a castrated gospel. It's a half gospel. In our home, we have a saying, a half truth is a full lie. And a half gospel is no gospel at all. It is not a gospel that will produce life. It is not a gospel that will bring you truth. It is not a gospel that will do anything except have you stand one day before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Isn't it interesting, that verbiage there? People who Jesus does not know, who say, I know you. And Jesus says, I don't know you. What do they say when they stand before Jesus? Lord, Lord. It's interesting, scripture says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth. One day, everyone will bow the knee to our King Jesus and declare him Lord, declare him their master. You cannot live your life with Jesus just being your savior and not your Lord. You don't get to do that. And it's amazing. It's amazing 
when we look at the real scripture, when we look at the real gospel, not this castrated, consumeristic Christian gospel that we hear today, which is no gospel at all, when we look at the real gospel of scripture, it demonstrates quite clearly that we are all slaves. Pre-Christ, we're all slaves living in perceived freedom. It's like straight up matrix. We're living in perceived freedom. It's not really free. It's just perceived freedom. But I want you to know this morning, Jesus didn't come to offer us perceived freedom. Amen? Jesus came to offer us true freedom. Jesus came to actually offer us actual freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from our mind. Freedom from our deepest, darkest desires. That's the type of freedom that Jesus came to offer us. Here's what's amazing about Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. We were separated from our God because of sin. And something had to be done. And so Jesus comes to this earth. We call that the incarnation. God puts on flesh and bone and he walks among us. We believe that Jesus, according to scripture, was both fully man and fully God. And he took our sin and he put them on his back because, because somebody had to pay a price. And the penalty for sin is what? Death. Somebody had to bleed for your sin. Somebody had to die for your sin. You know who should bleed for your sin? You should. Oh, is that too sharp? You should die for your sin. And so should I. Because the penalty for my sin is death. I should have bled for my sins. I should have paid the penalty for my sin with my death. But thank God I have a Lord Jesus Christ who functions as my Savior, amen? Who said, I will take those sins. I will bleed for those. I will die for those so that you don't have to. And I think about my life. I think about the stuff that Jesus had to die for me over. The things he had to bleed for me over. It's embarrassing, it's awkward, it's ridiculous, it's shameful. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is no more condemnation. Your sins have been paid for, son. Your sins have been taken. I put them on my back, I bled for you. I died for you. I died so your sins could be taken. What's amazing about this is that scripture says that God takes our sin and he puts it as far as the east is from the west, as deep as the ocean, he regards them no more. He wipes away our sin if we make him our Lord. So for some of you, I don't, I don't really care how long you've been coming to church. I don't. I really don't. I don't care who your dad is. I don't care who your mom is. I don't care how much you tithe how much you volunteer, how old you are, how young you are. I would ask you all the same question. Do you serve Jesus as Savior only or do you bow your knee to him as Lord? And for some of us this morning, we need to bend the knee. For some of us this morning, we need to allow Jesus Christ to not only be the one who saves us, but the one who leads us. Not just the one who died, but also the one who rose again and demands everything from us. 
I think while this is an issue, why this is an issue, I'm going to close with this, I promise. We don't need to play any music. I think why this is an issue is because we see entering into a relationship with Christ as a loss of freedom, not necessarily because of anything that Jesus says, but because mostly what Christians say. Are we honest? I mean, growing up, I gotta be honest with you, if you accepted Christ and then came to church with long hair, you weren't a Christian. Now, I don't, I don't believe that scripture has anything to say about that, but that was a cultural Christian piece. Do you see what I'm saying? If you had a tattoo, ooh, you were, you were not saved. Are you hearing me on this? Right? Um, we had it where like growing up for a minute there, if you, if you wore pants to church, you weren't, a, I mean, men wore pants to church. Like if you showed up without those, you definitely weren't a Christian, right? But like if you, if you were a lady and you wore pants or a pant suit, like it's like, oh, the Antichrist. Like you were like, right? Because women wore dresses. Women wore, and so what I'm saying is we have this weird thing as Christians that we do. We see somebody who's wild, they accept Christ, and then we try to domesticate them with religion. Okay, well, now that you're saved, you got to do this and do this and do this, and you got to show up here, you got to do this, you got to give this, you got to go here, and you, oh, we can't watch that, we can't listen to that, we can't talk to those people, we can't eat at that place, we can't go here, we can't go to that thing. Is any of that found in Scripture? No. Are there guidelines that we're to live to? Yes. But we domesticate. Jesus was not a domesticated savior. I mean, this is the, we're talking about the same Jesus that got mad at people in church and took the time to go home and weave together a whip and then came back and beat them with it. Okay, just think about that. Think about how angry you must be if you see something happening. Then go home, sit down, get out your arts and crafts, weave together a whip, test its sturdiness, and go back to church and beat people with it. You must be pretty angry. And Jesus is angry. He's mad because they're making money off of his church. We like to talk about the Jesus that's compassionate. We don't like to talk about that Jesus. We like to talk about the God that revolves around us, but not the God that says, you will give me glory. We like to talk about the Holy Spirit that gives us this, this, this very ethereal, just like feel good, but we don't like the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin and leads us back to repentance. And if we don't repent, he walks or at least goes quiet. We don't like that. So what I'm saying is do not let Christians stand in the way of you meeting Christ. Don't. Let Jesus be your Savior. Let Jesus be your Lord. Jesus calls us to live a wild life. Jesus calls us out of the natural and beckons us to live in the supernatural. He calls us out of a life of a rinse, wash, and repeat to a dynamic, abundant adventure of a life. Not a life of perceived freedom, but a life of actual freedom. Our hearts long for this freedom. You were created for this freedom. It's time to accept this freedom and walk into a real, real relationship with Jesus as Lord and Jesus as Savior. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.